We'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we come to this wonderful letter, Father, we are utterly in need of your grace We call on you, Father, that you would teach us. The Apostle Peter writes that Paul writes things that are hard to understand. And Father, uh, we look to you that, Father, you would truly be our teacher and be our guide as we embark on this study of this, this great document. And Father, we do pray that, Father, you would give us understanding, but an understanding that affects uh us to the core. Uh, Father, we, we pray that our hearts would be enlightened into these truths and that our will would be uh, indeed uh, uh, brought into conformity to these truths. So, Father, may we be orthodox in our thinking and also uh, orthodox in our practice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, As I've said several times through the service, this morning we begin a new study, and I know many of you are excited. I've been excited to get started on it Uh, ever since, I think, around the spring, I think is when I first mentioned, uh, maybe to Donald or the elders, that I think our next step is Romans. I've been very, very excited to get into this, and uh, I uh, I think you'll appreciate this comment in the preface to his commentary, the great... uh, 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 German reformer, Martin Luther, he writes, quote, uh, this epistle, that is Romans, this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel and is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Did you hear that? The more it is pondered, the better it tastes. Uh, That is our prayer as we ponder this. It will become more tasteful to us if we can imagine that. Now. As a rule, when I start a book of the Bible, I, I don't like, I know there's a, a number of different philosophies on this. and uh, I, I, for one, don't really like to spend the first one or two messages with introductory material. 
Uh, introductory material is really important. Uh, please don't misunderstand me that I'm dismissing that. Uh, but I don't like to fill the first couple of messages with introductory material for one reason. I think it has a tendency to be really dry, and we don't want that to happen, do we? Uh, we, we want people to return, and we'd like you to come back. Um, but secondly, if you miss the first couple of messages, you miss the entire introduction. So I, I think that what's better to do is to feather in the appropriate introductory material as you go through the book. And I think we do a lot better in remembering this information if we hear it often over the course of time. Uh, learning, I remember an attorney told me years ago, learning is space and repetition. I never forgot that. And, and really, I mean... That's what it is. It's amazing how our minds work. I mean, we can fasten on to one thing and we'll remember it forever. We'll never forget it. And then stuff that we want to remember, it says, you know, Alex will tell you just coming through school. It's tough. It's hard work. It's, you know, it, it, it takes space and it takes repetition. So uh, be patient with yourself as we go through this. There are things in Romans that are hard to understand, uh, hard to understand. Uh, so be patient with yourself as we go through this. Now, we begin this morning, uh, and as we begin studying Romans, I, I think that it's important that we always keep in mind that Romans is not a systematic theology textbook. Uh, it's not a systematic theology textbook. Now, systematic theology is a wonderful discipline. And you know, those of you who know me well know, I love systematic theology. In I, my library, some of my favorite books are systematic theologies. You know, A. Hodge, Charles Hodge, Louis Burkhoff, Robert Raymond, you know, Robert Louis Dabney, Calvin's Institutes. I'm, these are some of my favorite, favorite books. Uh, systematic theology is a wonderful discipline, but Romans is not a systematic theology. It's not what it is. Um, many approach it as if it is. It's not a systematic theology. It's a letter. Romans is a letter. It is the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Uh, so uh, we need to read it for what it is. And it's a letter that comes to us in a pattern, in a pattern that would have been familiar to the ancient reader. It begins with what we call salutation. Now, some of you in your Bibles, you have introductions. Some of you have study Bibles. And if you've read the introductions to some of these books, you, especially if you've been reading introductions to the New Testament letters, you've come across this strange word, salutation, correct? How many have heard that word before? Okay, if you look the word up in a dictionary, it'll tell you that a salutation is a standard formula of words used in a letter to address the person or persons being written to. It's a standard uh, formula of words used in a letter to address the person or persons being written to. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm turning your attention to this for an important reason. And I think you may find this helpful too. When I'm studying the Bible, and not just when I'm studying and preparing for a Bible study or a, a talk that I'm going to give somewhere. When I'm studying the Bible in general, I'm always trying to keep my eyes open for that which is unusual, that which is out of the ordinary. Because oftentimes, the Holy Spirit will use that which is out of the ordinary in order to call our attention to something in which He wants us to see. Does that make sense? So sometimes when we're studying the passage and we're trying to understand what, what is the Holy Spirit's reasoning for giving us this passage? What is this? Why is this passage here? Why is it here after the passage that became before it? And 
What does it have to do with what comes after it? Sometimes the clue to that is what is, what is out of the ordinary here? And it's often that which the Holy Spirit is calling our attention to. Now, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write 13 letters to be included in the New Testament. And each of these letters contains a salutation, this introduction. If you want to turn with me, keep your place in Romans. If you want to turn with me, you can. I'm just going to read a couple of salutations to you. One, first one in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 to 3. If you want to hold your finger in Romans and look forward, you don't have to. You can simply just listen. But in 1 Corinthians, it's the very next book that you'll come to in the New Testament. Um, Paul begins this way. He says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we could do this again in 2 Corinthians, but skip the Galatians and look at Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Or if you don't want to turn there, just, just listen. You'll hear the pattern just by listening. Galatians 1, verses 1 to 3. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's do it again. Let's go to Ephesians. Very next book. Just turn to the very next book. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could keep doing this. We could just keep doing this. Not only in Paul's letters, we could go to Peter's letters, we could go to John's letters, we could go to James' letters. And you'll notice that in each of these, uh, the writer introduces himself. In the case of Paul's letters, Paul introduces himself, doesn't he? In each one of these cases. And Paul includes... Uh, the addressee, if you will, uh, to the church of God that is in Corinth, for instance, to the churches of Galatia, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And thirdly, Paul includes this greeting. There's a greeting, and it comes in the phrase, quote, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, or something very similar to that. It deviates in places, but it's very close to that. So if you go back to Romans with me again, and you look at verse verses 1 to 7, and when you've read Romans 1, verses 1 to 7, have you ever felt yourself just a bit confused by that? I mean, Romans, 1 to, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7 is one long sentence in the Greek. And I think in the ESV, I didn't look for periods, but I think the ESV uh, maintains that. It's one sentence. Uh, this is what your English teacher used to call a run-on sentence, big time, isn't it? It's one long sentence. And it's very dense, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's sometimes very hard to, to figure out. And what I want to do is I want to unpack this. How do we unpack this? Well, look at verse 1 with me. Here Paul introduces himself, doesn't he? Paul, 
a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Not the exact words of what we've seen before, but something quite similar, huh? Now look at verse 7. To all those in Rome, there's the addressee, who are loved by God and called to be saints. And then the greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now what's different about this? What's unique about this? I, I turn your attention, it's unique in this way, it's the longest one. It's, it's very clearly the longest one. If you compare this one to all the others, this one is really long. So what is that teaching us? What is that telling us? What are we to, Did Paul just say, decide, you know, I'm going to make a really long one this time. You know, I'm going to make it really long, you know, and no periods. And we don't like periods. No, just long. That's hardly the case. I'm being silly. Uh, what, what is Paul doing here? Well, there's a really important message here in this really long sentence that we have to catch. If we don't catch this, we're going to be a bit lost in the rest of what comes after. And the two, there are two themes, you know. I was thinking of how to, how to demonstrate this. And you know the old hangers, many are throwing them away now. And maybe some of you still have them in your closet, the old metal wire hangers, you know. I actually like the metal wire hangers. We just got rid of a bunch of them. And I really didn't want to do that because I like them. I don't know why I like them, but I do. They're metal, and we don't have metal no more, and I like metal. Everything's plastic. But you'll notice, like, it's two pieces of wire, and you got a loop, and then you come down around like this, and then you come up, and then you intertwine the top, don't you? You remember how they were really tightly twisted, you know? Because if you locked your keys in your car, you had to untwist that thing, you know? You can't do that with the new hangers. We're, you lock your keys in your car, forget going to the closet. You think it will happen. There's no more hangers there that will help you get your keys out of your car. But you remember how those were intertwined. They were twisted so tightly together. And they were actually hard to get apart, weren't they? There are two themes in verses 1 to 7 here that are intertwined like that. And the two themes that we need to see is first, Paul's authority. Paul is coming with tremendous authority. And the second theme is Paul is introducing the gospel. He's introducing the gospel. And I want to take these two themes in the order they come to us. So this morning's message is going to take up the theme of Paul's authority. Next week, we'll take up the theme of the introduction to the gospel. Uh, so first and foremost, Paul establishes his, his authority. And I, I would like to say right from the start, there's many places where I could probably interject this comment, but I think let's just, let's just do it right from the start. Let's do it now. Uh, there, there is a good reason why Paul would want to establish his authority very early in this letter. If you turn to chapter 3 and you look at verse 8 with me, this gives us a clue as to why Paul would want to establish his credentials and his authority right away. Uh, the, the, uh, the surrounding context will wait. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in its appropriate time. But you'll, you'll read the words in Romans 3.8, uh, and why not do evil that good may come? And notice what he says next. As some people slanderously charge us with saying. Here, the, the great apostle is making reference to how he has been slandered and falsely represented. And we know from the book of Acts and Paul's other letters that he, he had many opponents who were challenging his authority. I'll just give you some verses if you want to look this afternoon. Acts 20 and verse 29. 
Second uh, Corinthians eleven five, Galatians one six to twelve, uh, many 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 more passages where the Apostle Paul's authority is being challenged. Uh, so w- we can take away from this right away an application, an obvious application, is that we shouldn't think it to be anything strange uh, when people um, slanderously mischarge us as we endeavor to share the gospel. Has anybody had that experience? If you're, if you're really, if, if publishing the gospel is important to you, if reflecting the glory of God is important with you, if telling people about Christ is important to you, then you've certainly been here, haven't you? Misrepresented, uh, slandered. But you see, you and I, we can stand on the authority of Romans as we do this, can't we? We can say, hey, you know, I didn't make this up. This is right here in Romans. We see the apostle Paul can't do that because he's writing Romans, isn't he? So he has to establish uh, authority. He has to establish this authority. And I think this would also be a good place as any to make a few comments about authority. We're Americans. Americans don't like authority, do we? And it's not just because we're Americans. It's because we're fallen sinners. From the earliest time that we have ability, we have rebelled against authority. The first authority figure we rebelled against was our parents. Right? No one had to teach us how to do that because we're, we're rebels from the box. Right out of the box we're rebels, aren't we? Because we fell in the Garden of Eden a long time ago with Adam. We've been born this way. So we don't like authority. We want freedom. We want freedom to do our own thing. You know, it's, it's our life. We want to live it our way. We didn't say that when we were little kids and little toddlers. We weren't able to articulate that. We weren't able to verbalize that. But with our behavior, we demonstrated that that was our attitude, wasn't it? This is my life. And I want to do my thing. My way. And I don't want your rules interfering with my thing. And this rebellion is the most unhappy enterprise that we can undertake. Tammy and I have had the privilege of ministering to junior and senior high teenagers. Actually, if I'm going to do youth ministry, that's my favorite age group. I know a lot of people don't want to go nowhere near them. Uh, I, 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 that's my favorite age group. Uh, if you, I, I don't know that I should have a favorite age group, but I, I've already said it, so <laughs> it's already gone. I should get this reversed. But think before you speak. But um, we've ministered to teenagers who were let go. You know what I mean by that? They were just let go. They were free from any parental uh, restraint. Uh, they could stay out as late as they wanted. They could do anything they wanted. They could talk any way they wanted. They could smoke cigarettes whenever they wanted. They could do anything they wanted. There was no restraints. They had this so-called freedom that many of their friends wished that they had. But you want to know something? They were the most unhappy kids that we, that we ministered to. Every single one of them, they were very unhappy. And they were always angry. This whole idea of casting off 
uh, authority is one of the most unhappy enterprises that we can under, uh, undertake. And the same thing that is true for kids is true of adults. We kick against God. We rail against God. We want a freedom from his authority. I mean, as we do this, we are the most unhappiest stock of people. We're the most unhappiest stock and angriest stock of people as we do this, you know. And uh, just listen to the incessant negativity that's all over our valley. Listen to the grumbling and complaining. And as you listen to this, you're hearing the melody of rebellion. It's the sound of rebellion. And it's not a happy sound, is it? It's not a happy sound. It's oppressive. And it's draining. Okay. Paul is speaking right from the get-go as soon as he says Paul. As soon as he says Paul, he's coming to us with authority. And he's speaking to the rebel that's in our hearts, isn't he? Let, let me demonstrate. Let me, let me develop that. Let me develop that. How does he do this? Well, notice, as I've already said in verse 1, he identifies himself as Paul. And then he says that he is a servant of Christ. If you look at Romans 1.1, 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, all true believers are servants of Christ Jesus, correct? If you're a true believer, you're a servant of Christ. But we have not been called to write 13 letters for the New Testament, have we? Paul is very clearly being called in a special and unique way. Now, the reader of the Old Testament may notice a parity. He may notice a, or she may notice a, a similarity here. As Paul describes himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, it may make us think about, you know, I remember reading that in the Old Testament. It seemed like maybe in Joshua, maybe, or in Deuteronomy, or maybe in the Psalms, where it said something like Moses, a servant of the Lord. Or Joshua, a servant of the Lord. Or David, a servant of the Lord. Could there be a connection? I'm going to suggest that there is a connection, that there's a parity, that when the Apostle Paul says that I am a servant of Christ Jesus, he is definitely a servant of Christ Jesus in the same way all of us are a servant of Christ Jesus. But he has been called in a way uh, that is very much in many ways like the great, the great uh, saints of the past, of David, of Moses, um, of Joshua. Now, all of this is strengthened when we continue in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. He's called to be an apostle. Now, Paul is referring here to a special commission that he received from Christ. And many of you know the story in Acts 9, where the apostle Paul at this point in time, he's not buying this uh, uh, Jesus stuff at all. And in fact, he, at this point in time, he believed that he was offering a service to God by snuffing this out. He's on his way to Damascus with paperwork, with authority from the chief priest to snuff out the church there. And as he's on his way, he is blinded and brought to the ground by the very glory of Jesus, isn't he? And there on that road, Jesus says to Paul, quote, rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. 
delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul while he's on trial at the end of the book of Acts in chapter 26. So Paul is here called to be an apostle with a capital A. In the same way that Peter has been called to be an apostle, in the same way that Matthew is called to be an apostle, in the same way that John is called to be an apostle, etc., etc., etc. Now, if we continue in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, look at the next phrase, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. Now, as an apostle, Paul comes bearing a message. He's bearing a message. What is the message? What's the gospel of God? And the word gospel means good news, and Paul comes with the good news. It's the good news of God. In other words, it's the good news that has God as its author. Does that make sense? If this good news has God as its author, then this good news has all of the authority of God himself, doesn't it? It comes with tremendous authority, doesn't he? And this good news doesn't come to us in a vacuum. If you look at verse 2, it's good news which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, you see, we're already beginning to discuss the gospel here. You say, wait a second, Rick. You said the first message was on authority. Sounds like you're going into the gospel. I, I am. It's because they're intertwined very tightly together. I think for the sake of understanding, I'm doing something that's kind of artificial to the text. I'm separating so that we can understand this dense passage a little bit better. But keep in mind as I do this, they're intertwined. Think of that coat hanger. They're intertwined and they need to be kept that way. But for the sake of understanding them, for the sake of looking at them a little bit closer, we're taking them apart. But we're doing so remembering that they must be put back together. The good news is the good news which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And uh, we have these two themes being wound tightly together. And by mentioning that the gospel of God was promised beforehand, even centuries beforehand, Paul is strengthening. He is strengthening the authority and authenticity of the gospel, isn't he? He's strengthening it. Uh, he's strengthening it great. And in doing so, he strengthens his credibility as an authority of the gospel. Uh, because what Paul can do, Paul can't stand on Romans as he's doing this. Because he's writing Romans. But he's not doing it in a vacuum either. He's standing on the Hebrew scriptures as he does this. What we call the Old Testament. And he's opening up, he's saying, listen, everybody, open up your Bibles. I'm going to show you what your Bibles mean. This is what they mean. This is the gospel. It's the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand in the scriptures. You see the strengthening of that? Oh, my goodness. Paul is not a preacher of some new fad here. 
Paul's not a preacher of some strange new idea here. Paul's not a a preacher of something that he just made up. Paul hasn't just been to some church uh, uh, growth seminar where he's heard the latest uh, silly church growth technique that he wants that he's all excited about. No, Paul is coming bearing a message. He has been set apart for this message. He's been called by Christ for this message. And this message is a message that has as its author, Almighty God. Amen? Now, what are the implications of this? Well, Paul's letter is not a systematic theology textbook. It's a letter. It's a message. And it's a message with tremendous authority. Uh, Pick your Bibles up and hold them in your hands. Pick them up and hold them in your hands. What are you holding? What do you have there? What is this? It's a message from a king. You ever stop to think about that for a moment? I mean, in preparation for this, don't think that I always have this together. In preparation for this sermon, I stopped and thought for a moment, what do I have here? What is this? It's a message from the king of kings. You're not free to disregard this. You're not free to disregard it. If you do so, you do so at your own peril. It's a message with absolute authority behind it. The Apostle John puts it this way in 1 John 4, 6. And what we were going to look at this week is our scripture memory verse. He's saying the same thing. He says, listen, we are from God. That is, we, we as apostles, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We are from God. We are from God. Are you from God? If you're from God, as you spend time in Romans, you know what will happen? It will taste better. Each time it will taste better. Now, uh, I want to recall here as I move to close what Paul said in in the very beginning here. Paul said that he is an apostle of Christ. He said he is a messenger of Christ. But Paul also says he's a servant of Christ, doesn't he? Paul, servant of Christ Jesus. Okay, there's a heartwarming thing here that we dare not skip over. It's a heartwarming thing here. Paul is coming to us in the same spirit that Jesus came to us. Think with me. Just think. Listen to this verse. You've probably read it many times. Jesus says in Matthew 20 and verse 28, he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Jesus came to a bunch of rebels like us, right? And he came with awesome authority, didn't he? But you know the heartwarming thing? The heartwarming thing is he came to serve us with a way of salvation. You see, when you put that together, it warms our hearts. 
We'll flee from authority. If, 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 if I just preach this mission, I talk about authority, authority, authority. It's not wrong, but it'll drive us away. We flee from it. We're scared of it. We're afraid of it. And we have good reason to be. But Christ, knowing this, he comes with authority. He comes with a message that we're not free to disregard. But he comes to serve us. And as we begin to see that there's this awesome authority here, this awesome authority, this unapproachable authority, as we see this, we, 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 we cower in fear. But as we see that Christ has come in this authority to serve us, to go to the cross for us, now our hearts are changed, aren't they? And Paul, Paul is coming... He, He's coming in the same spirit. He comes in the same way. We're never going to be free by fleeing from this authority that Paul comes with. We won't find freedom that way. We won't find freedom until we embrace this with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our soul, and all of our strength. I mean, look at the world. The world is railing against Jesus. The world is railing against God. The world is proclaiming, I'm going to live any way I want to live. Are they free? They're imprisoned by their rebellion. They're imprisoned. This is a paradox. It's, well, some of you might be saying, well, Rick, I think what you're saying is the only way you can be free is to surrender. And that's exactly what I'm saying. And that doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Wait a minute. The way to be free is to run. No, it isn't. There's nowhere you can run. The way to be free is to surrender yourself, to fall to the ground like Paul did on the Damascus Road, and to embrace the servant of all servants, the Savior of all saviors, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He'll receive you, He'll wash you, He'll keep you for all eternity. And he has, hasn't he? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, having only looked at really two, maybe three verses of this great letter. And Father, our hearts are strangely warmed by not only the awesome authority upon which this letter comes, it, is, it's, it's, it demands our undivided attention, and, but with the love that it comes, we see the love of already, Father, we see the love of Christ all over it. Father, we do ask that, Lord, you'd be pleased to bless our hearts to the tenor of this, this amazing grace that we have before us, Father. Change us, O Lord. Shape us, mold us, make us into that which you want us to be, O Lord. And staple these, heart, these words upon our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.